All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which was made sorry by me? And I wrote the same unto you, lest when you came I should have sorrow from them, of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if I have caused any grief, but, but, if, I, but, I, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight as we go through this chapter. I pray that you'd uh, help me to make a good time getting through it. But I pray also that I not miss uh, the main points that you have for us tonight. Help us to get some learning from this passage that will strengthen us in our faith in Jesus Christ and, and give each individual what it is they need in their personal life. Uh, Lord, to just not only to manage the affairs of their day-to-day life, but more importantly to manage their emotions and their mindset, and then even more importantly to manage those in such a way that pleases and honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ for the purpose of being useful for you and more like you. God, you're, you're the main thing, so we need you tonight to feed us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Paul's continuing this letter to the Corinthian church. He's in the second chapter, and in this chapter, he kind of touches on about, I'd say, three to maybe four different subjects, sort of like a message where he kind of jumps around a little bit, but touches on three or four different things as it pertains to what the Corinthian church had been dealing with and how they had responded and where they're at now in their growth process. I'll show you that as we go, but notice, first of all, in verse number one, he said, but I have determined this with myself that I would not come unto you again in heaviness. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever talk to yourself? You should. Paul did in verse number one. He said, I determined this with myself. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 4.4? He said, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Every once in a while, you need to sit down and reason with yourself a little bit. You need to discuss the situation with yourself. You need to kind of think through some things. You understand what I'm saying? Paul did it, and he said, I determined this with myself. What did he determine? He said that I would not come again to you in heaviness. So the last time Paul came, Paul got on them, right? I mean, he lit them up because they had some wickedness going on in the church 
That shouldn't be allowed. It should not be the way a Christian lives. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. There are boundaries. You understand that, right? There's lines. I get the fact that we all struggle. I get the fact, and I even, I even believe with all my heart, church ought to be a hospital for sinners. I, I hope that there's people sitting here tonight. I, I don't want you to have issues, but I hope people are here tonight because they have issues, and they're not okay with those issues. You, you see the difference? I hope there's people that always come to this church, every service, and as God grows us more and more of them that come because they need help. They're messed up and they want God to put them back together. They're messed up and they want God to clean them up. And I realize that does not happen overnight. But there are lines. There is a Christian testimony and a Christian standard that you and I ought to have. Now, the problem was not the fact that this young man got caught up in a very heinous moral sin with his stepmother. The problem was not just, I mean, that is a problem, but that was not what escalated the problem to the level that it wound up going to. What escalated the problem to the where Paul came at them with heaviness and aggression and harshness was the fact that the whole church knew about this ongoing situation and the whole church just let it grow, let, let it go like the ultra grace crowd today would claim that they are. Okay, they say you don't need to confess your sins because according to the God, when you get down and you confess your sin after you were saved, if you confess your sin, God looks at you and says, what sin? All I see is the blood. Well, if we're talking about your eternal destiny, then yes. You've got to understand that there is a difference between your standing as a Christian and your state as a Christian. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, according to the Bible, listen, if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, you need to stop me before you leave and we need to talk. All other meetings will get put on hold. If you want to know what does the Bible say about where I'm going when I die, I need to know if that's in the Bible, if I can be guaranteed that if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven. If that's there, I want to see it. I would never sell you on my religion and I would never sell you on me personally. I don't care what you do or don't think about me. I honestly don't care. What does the Lord say? You need to know that. Once you've settled that, which most all of you here tonight, as far as I know, have, once you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's how to remember the difference in the standing and state, okay? I use a word affiliation that helps me. Your standing is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. When God looks at you based on your standing, he sees nothing but the blood of his son. Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So not only does his blood wash you from your sin, but his blood keeps your soul saved. So if you got saved, then when it comes to your soul, God does not see any sin. In other words, I say something very extreme to make the point. A Christian can be caught taking a shot of liquor and the rapture happens or he has a heart attack and drops dead. Or with a needle in his, in, his, in his vein, about to fill it up with some heroin, about to shoot that heroin right in his vein. And the rapture happens or he drops dead, goes straight to heaven and, goes, and is guaranteed to be saved even though he died in a state of sin with no chance of getting it right yet. 
Because his standing is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the blood he shed to wash away all your sins. When you got saved, your sins past, present, and future were all washed away. That's your salvation of your soul, but that has nothing to do with your state. Your state is here in Michigan. In other words, your state is on earth. The Christian standing and state are not the same thing. A lot of Christians, while their standing is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, they're clean from their sin. They're not ever going to go to hell. They don't have to worry about hell. There's no such thing as purgatory. You have to go to an apocrypha and corrupt manuscripts and all the way back to the stuff we're talking about on Sunday night to get any of that stuff. It's not in a Bible anywhere. There's no such thing as a purgatory. You as a Christian are guaranteed heaven the second that you die because of your standing. However... Your state can be something totally different. Like I said, a born-again Christian can be taking shots of liquor. A born-again Christian can be sticking needles in their arms and shooting themselves up or smoking anything under the planet. A born-again Christian can be fornicating like the young man in 1 Corinthians with their stepmother, something so heinous. In the Old Testament, it's called an abomination. A born-again Christian can do anything a lost man can do. You do understand that, right? For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. A born-again Christian can get so far down the road of sin that God cuts them off early. God kills them early as a judgment for their sin. That's your state. When it comes to our state, when we're walking around saying, well, you know, like the, we, we call them the uh, dry cleaners. It's the hyper-dispensationalists. It's the altar grace crowd. They don't believe in baptism. They don't believe in 1 John 1, 9 applies to you. So they don't believe you should ever confess your sins to God. Listen, as a Christian, you ought to be confessing your sins every day. And if if you're really close to God, if you're really trying to walk with him, I will guarantee you, you'll find yourself confessing sins multiple times every day of your life. For what? For my state. My state has to do with my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How close we are. How submitted to him I am. How much he loves me and is blessing me and is using me. My usefulness to the Lord. The fruits of the Spirit being produced in my life. That joy and love and peace and all the good things that come from God. Those have everything to do with your state. In other words, God will fellowship with a man who has sin in his nature. But God will not fellowship with a man who has sin in his heart. Make sense? We all make mistakes and mess up. Some of us come in with sin in our nature. Some... I've worked with people for years with very major addiction problems and not kicked them out of the church. Because as I work with them, I I really sense that there's a true desire to do right. And they're not bragging about this. They're not making it public. They're not saying it's okay. They're not trying to justify it. They got a real issue that they're working with and they're ashamed of it. They're keeping it to themselves between them and God and they're coming looking for some help. That's one thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a whole other thing when somebody's saying, well, I'm living like this and y'all have to accept me because you're supposed to love me because, you know, love and forgiveness and, you know, God doesn't see it anyways. We're all washed in the blood. Guess what? Not only do each and every one of you individually have to worry about your state with the Lord Jesus Christ from day to day in your walk with him, but a local church has to too. When a local church begins to see those things going on and accepts them, that local church is in a bad position between them and God. Paul saw that going on in the Corinthian church and he got on them about it. He, he went after them in heaviness. 
But look at Paul's heart. Look at the heart, I believe, of a true preacher when he really loves those people and is truly preaching the truth, even though he may be real heavy and real harsh and honestly almost come across mean. I want you to notice the real uh, uh, heart in him. Look at verse 1. He said, I would not come to you again in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which was made sorry by me? You know what he's saying? He said, I talked to myself and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm really happy about these folks. I, I got on them last time and they needed it. But they've repented. They got the thing right. I'm not going to come to them again the same way. If I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? He said, you folks have encouraged me. You folks have helped me. You make me glad. You give me encouragement in the Lord. So I'm realizing that I might have got at you the first time, but now I'm paying attention to how you reacted to the rebuke. And since you reacted the right way, I need to back off now. Moms and dads, there's a lot to learn here in raising our kids. In studying your Bible and watching the spirit of this thing. Watch verse number three. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came... I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. What he's saying is, I I wrote unto you, saying that when I come, I I, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. He said, "I, I don't want this relationship to be difficult. I don't want this relationship to be bad. I don't want when we're supposed to have rejoicing there to be sorrow. He said, I have confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. He's talking about his relationship to the church. The reason Paul's approaching him like this is because of their response, the repentance that they had that made Paul glad. When he preached, he preached for a purpose. It wasn't to blow them up. It wasn't to ruin them. It wasn't to kick them down. It wasn't to tell them they're losers and they're no good and God hates them and he's mad at them because they're filthy, rotten, useless sinners. He called the sin what it was and pointed the sin out and said, knock that stuff off and kick him out of the church. What do you think you're doing? Give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. He got on them, right? What was his purpose? To see him get it right. The second they got it right, Paul's heart changed. Paul was not a hard-hearted preacher. Can I tell you a real Bible preacher every once in a while, he'll get with it. It'll be hard. He'll call the baby ugly. He'll name the sin. He'll tell you, the problem is your heart. The problem is you. The problem is your rebellion. The reason is you've got an authority problem. He'll get on you and you'll be like, my goodness, he hates me. No. (laughs) He hates the sin. He's doing his job before God. He hates the sin in you as much as in himself. So that same guy that's so tough, like Paul was tough, man. You see him here being like like a nurse. Gentle. Like a mama, gentle. And he's saying, look, man, my joy is the joy of you all. Look at verse 4. For out of much affliction, you see that? And anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. (laughs) He said, out of much affliction, what Paul was feeling when he got on them, was affliction. He didn't, enjoy, he didn't enjoy a minute of it. He went home and tried to unwind after the service and put his feet up and relax and 
dead dog, tired, just wore out, got in bed and laid there. Eyes scratching and laid there. I said, God, was I too hard on him? God, should I not have said that? God, was I taking it too far? God, I don't, man, Lord, I'm just sure hoping he's thinking through the people. He's thinking who might have taken it wrong and who might have got hurt and who might have, yeah. That's, that's, that's the real heart of a genuine pastor and a genuine preacher. That's the heart Paul had toward them. He said, I anguish a heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Paul's literally crying over it. Would you that I come to you with a rod or in a spirit of meekness? While, while tears are dripping on the paper. He's broken hearted about what they're doing. And he's willing to do whatever God tells him to do. And say whatever God tells him to say. To be God's man with God's message. Even if it meant they were going to get mad and have nothing to do with him again. Or the church was going to split. Or people were going to leave. Or no matter what. Come hell or high water. He was going to stand with what was right. And that's the kind of preachers we need today. Can I say, Mom and Dad, that's the kind of parents we need. You notice Paul knew when to take the swipe swipe at him and when to back off. You know what I think is a big problem is when parents don't know when to back off. I think nowadays the bigger problem is that parents don't know when to take a swipe at them. That's pretty obvious. You can tell nowadays by some young people, man, they get a job or they get some kind of authority over them and the first time they're told what to do, they get an attitude. You know what your problem is, you little brat? Your mama and daddy never did their job. Nine times out of ten. Not every time. Sometimes the parents tried and you just happen to have a real knucklehead, you know. (laughs) That's why in the Old Testament law, God gave provisions for them, but I'll spare you. I preached hard enough Sunday night to last us for a little while. So, yeah, there were some pretty harsh judgments God put out there for a rebellious son that wouldn't listen to his parents. But most of the time, it's actually a matter of that mommy and daddy cared more about being the kid's buddy and not having the kids mad at them and all the rest of that stuff than just doing their job. You don't have to be hard. Kids, listen to me. Your mom and dad get on you, chew you out, ground you. I hope... Use old-fashioned corporal punishment when you're young enough. You're a fool if you think that means they hate you. Yeah, they're aggravated. Sure, they're yelling. They say stuff, maybe. You know, they're human. They say stuff they shouldn't. Okay, well, they'll, they'll grow. But they do it because they love you. You don't see your mom and dad yelling at every other little kid in the store, do you? You know Why? I'm my kid. Don't love them. Not invested in seeing them turn out. Not willing to fight them. When you got a mom and dad that's willing to fight you, you got a good mom and dad. Amen. Verse five. But if I've caused any grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part. But if, excuse me. But if any have caused grief, caused Paul grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I might not overcharge you all. He said, Yeah, I might have got hurt, but I didn't get hurt that bad. But in part. Yeah, you broke my heart, but, you know, it's no big deal. That's literally, that's, that's the spirit of what Paul's trying to tell him. You know, Paul's very different than Saul. You remember Saul in the Old Testament? None of you feel sorry for me. Paul was purposefully trying to make sure they didn't feel sorry for him. 
I said, if any of grieved me, not grieved me, but in part. It's, it's really no big deal. Don't worry. Yes, yeah, I was upset. We're good now. I promise. I mean, like, I mean, we're good now. I mean, like, do you believe me? We're good. That's a, that's a good leader right there. Notice in verse number six, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Now, I found that to be very interesting because I think, you know, I've always struggled with that passage in Ephesians uh, 5, is it? Or 6, fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. You ever stop? I mean, fellas, ever see that one? Bother you a little bit? Because I'll tell you what, my kids have gotten mad as a wet hen at me. They, they wouldn't like come right out with it, but you could see it in their eyes. Right? I provoked them to anger. Do your chores. I don't want to. <laughs> right? Now. And they're mad. I really don't think that's what it's talking about. That's rebellion. That's their problem between them and God. Your problem is making sure they do it because you said to do it. And if they want to do it with an attitude, you just know you got to get a little harder on them. you got to, okay, you can do that with that attitude, and then i got some more stuff for you. we got to get some of that energy out of you, that frustrated energy. we got to get that. We'll just work it out of you, <laughs> you know. Notice, I think here in verse 6, is a little bit of a light bulb for me because Paul was, as like the spiritual father, disciplined in that church. I think one of the ways you provoke them to anger is over-punishment. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. He said he's got all he needs. Don't keep, don't keep punishing him. Not overreacting. So here's, here's the trick. This is what happens. You're 40-something years old or whatever you are, right? And life at your age has a lot of stresses that come with it, right? Yes. Jobs and finances and a thousand other stresses. And so you're particularly having a really bad day and you're really frustrated and you got real problems on your mind and one of your kids comes along and is like, I'll pick an age that none of mine are so they don't feel like I'm picking on them or nobody else feels like I'm picking on them. You know, your kid, your five-year-old acts like a five-year-old. And they always choose the worst times to do that. Right? Yes. So your response is, what are you thinking, you idiot? Okay, wait, wait, time out. <laughs> All that pressure that you're feeling just came out on something really stupid that a five-year-old did that needed to be corrected. Hello? How do they get trained? How do they grow up? How do they stay alive? Don't you correct them? Okay, obviously the culture we're living in, we've got to wind that up. That should have been a much stronger... (laughs) You're supposed to train them. You're supposed to correct them. You're supposed to say, hey, that was dumb. Don't be dumb, okay? You're a very smart kid, but that was a really dumb thing, so let's not be dumb, okay? Right? You look both ways before you run out in the road. Or you just don't run out in the road, you know what I mean? It frustrates them, it provokes them to anger when the the reaction to the crime is way beyond what the crime was. 
or you've dealt with it and you, you got the thing settled and they got the thing settled. And then it's like, now we're going to constantly forever punish you because of what you did back here. And it's like, I thought I fixed that. It provokes them to anger. Can I just give you another one, though, that provokes? I'm, I'm sure this one provokes kids to anger. Overpunishment does it. Paul's recognizing when he's dealing with this guy in the church, we got him enough. The whole church heard the preaching, kicked him out. He repented and got right. That was the point of kicking him out. Praise God he got right. Now that he's back, y'all need it. We're going to talk about it in a minute. You ought to treat him a certain way now that he's got the thing right. So that was, the, that was the whole issue that Paul was working at. Sufficient punishment. But here's the other thing that provokes him to anger. A lack of punishment. Have you ever noticed, did you ever stop and think about it? These stupid little kids in the store, excuse me, these young children in the store that aren't trained well, that are just demanding, no! I want it, no! I mean, like, I'm just absolutely blown away that a 20-pound kid can talk to a 6'4", 220-pound, shredded, tatted-up dad like that, and he's like, come on, no, no, come on, no, 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 no. all right, fine, but you're going to be in trouble, and the little kid wins. Why is that kid so angry? The kid wins every time. You got to understand, that wasn't a one-off. That kid knew what he was doing and has done it before and absolutely will do it again. The kid runs the show. The kid threw the fit. The kid is a little brat. You'd think that once the brat got what the brat wanted, you could say, hi, honey, how are you? And he's like, hi, I'm good, how are you? Because I'm happy now, I got what I want. No, no, the same brat still yelling at mom and dad. They're angry. You know why? They're being damaged by the parents. Because, I, I don't know why, a million different reasons. Mommy doesn't believe in spanking. You're too hard on that little boy. I'm not trying to be a jerk or disrespectful, but I'm just telling you, this is so misogynistic and politically incorrect, and I'm going to get censored and canceled, I'm sure. Ladies, ladies, it takes a man to raise a man. If you don't think I'm right, Go ask the black community what the black community problem is. Ask the men in the black community. You know what they're going to tell you? The absence of dad. And guess what? It ain't just a black community thing either. That's an old line. It's come all the way across the board. You know what they need? A father. But when you got mama blocking every move he tries to make, he's manipulating mama. I'll tell you this much. I'll guarantee you. He knows how to look at dad and send a message with his eyes. And then look at mom. As soon as mom turns around, it's, and he's a little dove. <laughs> it's natural. It's natural. You know what makes him mad? When you don't discipline him. Go to a couple passages with me real quick. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. I'm going to show you something about this that's completely misunderstood in this culture. The stinking, even the religious culture, constantly talking about love and unity and what we need is peace. And like some lost guy told me this week, what we need is somebody to come and bring us all together. 
I said, oh, he's coming. <laughs> His name's the Antichrist. Because that's exactly the message this whole world's getting right now, and that's exactly the direction it's going, and it's going fast, and it means Jesus is coming soon. I'm telling you that much right now. You think, you think there's any chance that this country is going to get any kind of unity? The more they talk about racial equity, the more racial it gets. The more they talk about you know, political equity and, and, and working together across party lines, the more divisive they get. Let some of these 20 and 30 year olds get in office. Give them 10, 15 years if God tarries that long. And you see what we got in this country. In the world, all the way around the world. You see what we got. They're going to have to have somebody come and give them some peace. This world's so messed up, they're talking about unity and they're talking about love all the time. And they don't have a stinking clue what love is. Not a clue. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Look at this. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. You don't discipline them, you hate them. When parents don't discipline, I'm not, listen to me, hear me clearly. I got to be clear about this. I'm not talking about abuse. I just told you, fellas, not to take your frustrations out on your kids. I just told you not to over-discipline the situation. I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. I'm not okay in that. But I'm saying when you fail to discipline your kids, you don't love them. When a preacher will not discipline in the church and preach the truth in the church and come straight at it in the church, he does not love those people. You understand me? When he will not preach on fornication, he will not preach on homosexuality, he will not preach on alcohol, he will not preach on drugs, he will not preach on adultery, he will not preach on reading your Bible and praying and envy and strife and division and gossip and any other sin. When he will not preach on self-righteousness and pride, he does not love those people. Paul loved the Corinthian church. He told them what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him. Chasteneth them be times. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just showing you what God says about it. Hebrews chapter number 12. People come and say, oh, you're a pastor. I just, you know, I mean, I've even heard Bible-believing people say this, you know. Oh, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I like Brother Reagan's preaching, but I just couldn't sit under that every week. He's too harsh. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that do. I know they're rare. I believe you're a rare crew. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And as time goes on, as we get closer to the coming of Christ, you're rarer and rarer. But if you're just looking for some preacher to just tickle your ears all the time, you're looking for a guy who's trying to get your money or trying to build his ego based on the size of his ministry. You're not dealing with a guy that loves God and loves you and loves the truth. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6. For whom the Lord... Loveth. He has grace and doesn't see the sin. He chasteneth and scourgeth. That's even more. Every son whom he receiveth. He chastens you when he loves you. You want to know something? I've never got away with much in my life. I've tried. I've had friends that have, that have done, that are, I've said it before and it sounds so terrible, so please be merciful to me here, but they're dumber than I am and nowhere near as strategic. 
<laughs> and never get caught. Man, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm always getting caught. I was going into J.C. Penney to return a coat that I'd gotten that was the wrong size, and as I walked in, the ladies are standing there, and I'm holding the coat on a hanger, you know, and I said, I don't have the receipt, but you saw me come in with this, right? They're like, yes. I said, all right, so I need to exchange this. Well, that's in the back. I said, yeah, yeah but you got to understand, like, I don't have a receipt, so can they look this up by the credit card or something like that to be sure that I bought it? She said, yes, you're fine. Take it in the back. I said, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm going to get arrested for stealing a coat. If there's not a way to make sure that you know I bought this coat and I'm getting the other one, this is my luck. You understand what I'm saying? You know what that is? That was a joke. I was playing around. But you know what that is? That's God's goodness to me. It's one of the ways I know God loves me. That's one of the things that scares me half to death and keeps me straight. Keeps me doing right. Keeps me on the straight and narrow. Why? Because I know God loves me. So you know what that means? (laughs) He's going to whoop me. Uh, well, I'm forgiven. Yeah. Yeah, he wants that relationship right. He wants me laying up treasures in heaven. He doesn't want me wasting any little bit that I might have already got for him. Revelation chapter 3, please. Verse 19. Very interesting verse. As many as I love, I coddle and pamper. I always say yes when they ask. I make sure their life is perfect and the epitome of an old-fashioned Disney movie before it was full of LBGBTQ and XYZ stuff. It's not what it says, is it? Many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? You know what God wants to see when He puts a whooping on you? Repentance. God wants to see that when you get whooped and when you get called out for your sin, you repent. You know the easiest way to make God happy? And to take a rebuke and to take some chastening, it's in a it's in preaching. This this is the be, this is the first place God will correct you right here. Now I understand you got the Spirit of God in you. I'm talking about when you're not listening to the Spirit of God, and He already told you this week, and then you walk into church and you sit down, right? And then the preacher gets up and starts preaching the Bible. And he hasn't been following you around or reading your mind or listening to your conversations or watching what you're doing in your private time when nobody's around. And he gets up and starts preaching and God gives you a message right out of the Bible, right to you in your situation. That's a rebuke. That's, right. That's the first step. Toward, none, of you walk, none of you in your right mind, without telling your kid, walk up and for the first time, like it's not like something you already told him, like for the first time, you know, something silly. You know, like, you don't, don't put, the, don't put the, the fork there, put it there, right? Never told them before. But you don't like where they're putting it. So just walk up behind them and just, <laughs> the back of the head, right? <laughs> never told them first. They never knew the rule. Well, no wonder your kids are angry. You don't do that. What's the first thing you do? You tell them, right? Hey. Uh uh-uh. uh. Hey, you talking to me like that? You know what you're doing? You're giving them a chance to get it right. You know, that is, the, that is the time. You know what you do when you come into church? You know what the Spirit of God's doing? You really right. Didn't I tell you? And you get under what we call conviction. Well, that's God's rebuke. 
I mean, for me, for me, I'm, I'm ready to hit the altar, man. Let's straighten this up, Lord, because I don't need to go to the next level. I don't need that scourging. I don't need that chastening. I heard you. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Please forgive a change of mind. I repent. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So when he was afflicted of many, he didn't push it too far. Once he saw the guy get right, he stopped. He said, so that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. To this end, did I also, also did I write that, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. So what he's saying is this. The guy repented. You all kicked him out and gave him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He repented. So now what? Forgive him. And I'm writing this to you to see you obeyed me when I said kick him out. When I said deal with that thing. When I said don't turn a blind eye to that anymore. Stop making excuses for sin. You obeyed me then. You're going to obey me now? You're going to forgive him? You're going to let him make it right? To this end of thy right, whether you be obedient in all things. Look at verse 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I also forgive, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now your new Bibles will change that to uh, in the place of Christ. Or in the stead of Christ. You know, making it easier to understand. Because in the person of Christ. So they'll say in the sight of Christ. No, it's in the person of Christ. Why? Because he left some authority with the church. And did you not forget that you're in his body? That he's in you and you're in him? You see, that forgiveness thing is not relegated only to priests in the church, like the Catholic Church would teach you. That's a false doctrine. You're all responsible to forgive. You're not absolving their sin. You're saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, when they got it right the way God said to get it right, we're forgiving them and we're allowing them back into the fellowship. Why? Because Satan gets an advantage of them when they're not in fellowship with the local church. That's why he said, kick them out, give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Kick them out. When you're not in fellowship with a local Bible-believing church, you are in a bad spot between you and the devil. You're missing out on everything God has for you in this time and in this day. This is extremely important, more important than you realize according to the Bible. You need the Bible teaching. You need the preaching. You need the fellowship. You need to be around other people that believe like you believe and are trying to serve God too. It'll keep you on the straight and narrow. It'll keep you doing right. It'll keep you walking with God. It'll keep you from train wrecking your life. So he says, forgive I in the person of Christ. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should get advantage of us for we're not ignorant of his devices. If Satan can't push you off the road on one side, he'll push you off the road on the other. There are ditches on both sides of the road. I hear preachers say all the time, you need you better to wear out than rust out while they're pressuring their church to work, 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 work. You know, everybody's got to be doing something. Well, you know, what difference does it really make if they wore out or rusted out? I know a lot of good Bible-believing Christians that literally wore out. They wore out. Like, like only so much can be expected of you. You all got to go to work in the morning, right? If not, get a job. Right? And you got to put in 40 hours a week. And then you, 
you do have an expectation, obviously, you wouldn't be here to be here on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then we're going to add 47 ministries. Everybody's got to be doing something. Where did that where where in the world did that come from? Please just I, I, just cuz I can tell you where it come from. I know where it come from culturally. I can run the roots of it all the way back to some desperate churches and desperate ministries that were dying and didn't want to die, so got people in, they they win them, wet them and work them. That's the game plan. That's why the contemporary church gets their talons into these kids by getting them saved. And the second they get them saved, they make them a greeter. And they put them in a small group. And they allow them to be a teacher of this and a teacher of that before they know anything. Make them feel important. Give them a title. Make them feel like they're needed. Work them. It's a a business plan. Ain't God's plan. Where's all that coming from? If you're out, you're out. Either way, it was the devil. If you just sit there and don't ever start doing anything for God, if you don't grab some gospel tracks and invite some of your friends and co-workers and neighbors and whoever else, start witnessing, start doing something for the Lord, then yeah, you'll probably rust out sooner or later. You can't make it all about you all the time. Either way, it's a trick of the devil. He was pointing this thing out to them, saying, lest Satan should get advantage of us for not ignorant as his devices. How? By, by not judging the sin when it's right in your face. By the grace of God, I will never get to a point, by the grace of God, I will never get to a point where I turn a blind eye to sin being flaunted in our faces because I'm worried about losing people. I don't know or care how much you tithe. You know why we accepted that, 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 that large uh, offering that I told you about that somebody wanted to give towards our addition? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because it was the Lord wants me to do this. Okay. There were no strings attached. You know if there were strings attached? Like, yeah, but I want you to use this kind of material and I want to make sure you do it this way. And I'm like, Thank you, but no thank you. Because your offering is helping us a lot and we really appreciate that, but we already voted to make the payment in full. And they're all paying for the rest of it. Equally. You see, you see how that stuff works? The, the, that, that strings, I'm, I'm not letting that kind of thing happen by the grace of God. I don't count the money. I don't know what you give. And I don't care. Because I've watched people leave and I've watched God continue to take care of this ministry so long as God's in it. We're not letting the devil come in here and start messing this thing up. That's a ditch. You know the other ditch? Being so judgmental and so harsh that people can't mess up, take the rebuke, get right and feel like, you know, we can go back. I want people, if they mess up, to feel like if they'll, if, if they'll repent, you hear me? If they'll repent like he did in 1 Corinthians, if they're really sorry, I want them to be like, you know what, you know Pastor Reagan. Let's get back in church. And you know that church. They won't bring it up. They won't overcharge us. They'll act like nothing ever happened. Because we're right with God. Let's go get it right. Satan gets advantage of you when you won't forgive somebody. 
You need to forgive people for your own sake. You really need to forgive people for their sake when they're asking for forgiveness. And we should all forgive people for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. I'm not saying, you've heard me preach on forgiveness. I'm not recanting anything I said. If somebody's not trying to get it right, don't, don't let them manipulate you. Well, you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive while they continue to try to destroy you. Get away from them. But man, when somebody repents, don't let Satan get an advantage of you by holding them up against their past against them, or against them their past. Don't do that. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Look at that. God opens up the doors. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Very self-explanatory. He's looking for Titus. He can't find him, so he keeps moving on. Look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Do you see that? You should memorize this verse. And make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You know what you are in Christ? You're more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. He said, he said, now thanks be unto God which causeth us to triumph, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Folks, when you got Jesus Christ, you are on the winning side. We're not depressed and discouraged and, oh, it's just... You know, it's so bad out there and there's not very many Christians anymore. No, I, I'm not living my Christian life like that. According to this book, I'm triumphing in Jesus Christ and making manifest the savor. That's a good smell, right? That's a, that's a savory smell. It's still a word used in English. The savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You know what's awesome about this church? The amount of first-time visitors that come in here, I mean, Sundays, even Wednesdays, man. We have a first-time visitor tonight. It's awesome. I love it. What are you doing? What you're doing is you're trying to tell other people, hey, you should just come hear a little bit about the Lord. You need to come check this out. Look at what the Lord did for me. You're obviously talking about the Lord. Dala brought a whole family on Sunday morning. She's been, you've been babysitting for them, right? They, they were sitting over there shaking their head, and they, they told me as on the way out, they said, we'll be back next Sunday. I said, praise the Lord, man. How awesome is that? What, what is that? Babysitting, and you just talk to him. Talk about the Lord. He comes up. She had some Bible questions for me as she came in tonight, because somebody else she's witnessing to, and, you know, asking about this, and they're Roman Catholic, and they were asking her, and she's like, no, that's, I don't think that's in the Bible, you know. What are you doing? Just everywhere you go, you're just talking about God. the savor of his knowledge in every place. Don't be shy about the Lord. You don't have to have somebody pushing a soul winning program down your throat. You don't have to take your Saturdays, the one day you can sleep in and hang out with your family, spend some time with the kids, go for a walk with the wife or take her on a date for once. Amen. That's good preaching. Thank you. Harder living. Can't look at my wife right now, but you know. The one day you got. No, we got to have a bus ministry on that day. Well, we don't want to rust out. I don't want you to wear out either. What's wrong with witnessing to everybody you know everywhere you go and not being an obnoxious jerk about it, but letting the joy you have in Jesus Christ show, letting the difference show. Sometimes it might help to get to know them a little bit before you just start preaching at them. Let it, just pray. Watch God set you up and let it come up in conversation. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. <laughs> How was your weekend? 
Really good. What'd you guys do? Well, we spent all day yesterday in church. All day, well, not technically, but feels like it's favorite day of the week. Really? What church do you go to? Just watch the conversation happen. All you're doing is just being you. You're not trying to be a theologian. You're not trying to preach it. You're not trying to cram it down their throat. Just let your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have one, right? I mean, the most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with Christ, right? So just letting that just, just come out of you. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. God smells it. In them that are saved and in them that perish. Now watch this. This is crazy. To the one, we are, a sa- we are the savor of death unto death. You know what stops Christians from witnessing? The fact that lost people think you stink. You mean you don't go partying on Friday night? No, I don't have to put other things in my body to make me happy. I'm really, 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 really happy that I don't have to wreck my life to make myself happy. I'm really happy that I don't rely on a buzz to escape my problems. I face them head on like a man. And they're there. And in spite of the fact that I have problems, I face them head on and I'm still full of joy and I have a better time on the weekend than you could ever have and I don't have to worry about winding up in jail unless they start arresting us for preaching against, you know, well, sooner or later. But if if that happens, I'll have Jesus in there and we'll start a jail ministry, amen? I'll preach in jail too. As long as they have one of them pull-up bars and dip bars and a Bible, I'll be happy, amen? And I've memorized enough of it where I'll write it down and I'll preach what I got. I don't need all that stuff. I got the Lord. But you stink to the world. So you let the ones that think you stink stop you from reaching the ones who... What is that smell? I, I need that. To the one you're the savor of death unto death, to the other the savor of life unto life. You know how many people you've been able to reach? Listen, I'm almost done, but I, I got to say this. This generation, what I mean is, teenagers and early 20s, this generation right now, there is is something about a lot of them. I know everybody's written them off. And I get it. Half of them I want to knock out too. You know what I mean? I realize we've just written them off. We just read all the news articles and we just see how crazy everything is and these kids are nuts and you know they're in there teaching them all this stuff and they're buying on to all this stuff. I get that, but I'm telling you, we're selling them short because there's more of them out there right now responding to some strong authority, some older people that actually stop and care about them and will pay them attention and will help them out a little bit, give them some answers to their questions. There are more of them out there looking for truth than you think there is. Some of them are a little smarter than we're giving them credit for. They're looking around going, man, whatever's going on ain't working for any of us. And they're saying, what's that? And they walk into these contemporary churches and they're like, more marketing. Well, there's some, there's some hot chicks around here. Yeah, that's why half of them are staying. But you give them some truth. And you just be surprised. I just, I'm just saying... You might want to just kind of easy, easy does it, just, just try to be a witness to some of them. Who's sufficient for these things? Not a person in the room. Not a one of us. 
But we got a Savior. And in Him, we're more than conquerors. In Him, what's the word used? He always causes us to triumph. I'm telling you, God can use you and I to reach some people. Verse 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. You know what your new Bibles do with that verse? They corrupt the Word of God. They take the word corrupt out and they put pedal, which means to sell. That's a funny thing because every time you write a new copy of the Bible, you copyright it and you get paid for it. But a King James Bible in in this country, it doesn't have a copyright on it. You can go ahead and copy it and pass it out as much as you want without being sued in this country. England holds the copyright still. But here and all around the world, you can pass it out as much as you want. Ain't that funny? Well, they say they take the word corrupt out and they put the word pedal in. They're trying to cover their tracks. You know what they're doing? They're corrupting the word of God. And when you take the word corrupt out and put pedal in, you just corrupted it. You're hiding people's view from what you're doing so you can sell more Bibles. We are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. I want to say this. I believe every word of this Bible from cover to cover... I believe if you're open-minded, I can prove it to you. Amen. If you're willing to stop and consider, I believe there's more proof of what I believe and more proof that this Bible is the Word of God than anything else you'll be taught anywhere on the planet. Amen. And I've studied it to know why I believe that. But I am telling you right now, I believe every word of this book. Sincere. And if I didn't, I would resign and go get a job somewhere. Without, in a heartbeat, as of sincerity, but as of God. I don't think I can make too big of a deal out of the Bible. In the sight of God, God sees me and hears me. Do you know that scares me? You know, when I get text messages from people and, you know, I'm listening to your sermons and that kind of stuff, and man, every time I see that, it bothers me. <laughs> It just bothers me. I talk so stinking much. You know, God hears every word I say. Every message I preach, I believe I'll give an account for them. I believe I'll give an account for what I said Sunday night about the Roman Catholic Church and every word I used in calling her a whore and everything else. I think I'll answer for every bit of that. I think what we're doing is as just as real as it could possibly be. In the sight of God, speak we how? In Christ. Most important thing in all the world? <laughs> you know what it is, right? <laughs> it's your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why we're studying this Bible? You know why we're going through this Second Corinthians on Wednesday night verse by verse? You know what the point is, right? It's Jesus Christ. Now that ought to be as real to you and as sincere to you as anything else in the entire world. And if it is, then make sure you let other people know because God smells it and they smell it too. And just brace yourself. Some of them are going to think you stink. Be man enough or woman enough to not care and be kind anyways. Others of them, 
I don't know. You can't do it. Don't even worry about it. Just, just go tell them. And watch what God does with it. All right, we'll stop there for tonight.